Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Today, we welcome Greg Gotro to Discover Lafayette studio at Raider. Greg dedicated his career in service to Lafayette's Parks and Recreation Department, managing its athletic programs, therapeutic recreation, pools, parks, and so much more. Interestingly, he also served for 32 years as a college and NFL football official, including officiating at Super Bowl 43. When I met with Greg recently, I was taken aback by the football memorabilia he has collected over his lifetime, as well as the memories that he cherishes. It's an honor to have him join us today to share his story. Greg Gotro, welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you, Jan. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So I knew you. I knew that you had officiated. I really knew you from your service to our community. And we spent some time together. And I just think what you've done to help us with our quality of life is a is a story worth sharing. But just as importantly as the the career you had on the side, you know, you were you were working 24-7. So I want you to share how you got involved, not only in recreation, but with the NFL, if you want to just start from how you, you know, those early days. Sure. You know, it's really kind of funny. Those two, officiating and parks and recreation, started together. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I went to Terlins Catholic, and I graduated in 1972. And the uh, parks and recreation department wanted to use our gym, the school gym, on Saturdays for youth basketball games. And I heard the gentleman from the parks department talking to our basketball coach saying, hey, they like to have a, a student there on Saturday, somebody to run the clock, open the door, and just kind of be available. And when I heard them, I heard the guy tell the coach that, I said, oh, man, I'd love to do that, mm-hmm. to be in a gym on a Saturday and, and get, get paid to be in a gym. Mm-hmm. What a great opportunity. So I went up to the coach and said, coach, look, I heard, you, heard y'all conversation, and uh, I'd like to do that. He said, if you want it, Greg, mm-hmm. that's fine. So that's how I started uh, with kind of with the parks department. They would pay me on a Saturday, but half the time they were short basketball officials. So I'll end up refereeing basketball games. You know, I played on the basketball team too, but you know, so it gave me a different perspective of, as a player to become an official. So I officiated a lot of the games on Saturday, enjoyed it. I kind of got paid double dip for being uh-huh. there and, and refereeing the games, which was another uh, positive. Were you an athlete yourself? Yeah, I, I, what did I you played, play? I played basketball, baseball, uh-huh. and ran track. So you knew the basics. Oh, yeah, anyway. I knew the game. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I just uh, uh, I fell in love with the officiating side. Mm-hmm. I love to play. And I can tell you another story that got me into officiating into baseball. Uh, but uh, that that's so anyway, I started working the, the – um, the basketball games, and got to know the uh, the guys at the park department pretty good. Uh, so in that summer, they uh, they hired me to uh, umpire youth baseball games. But before that, when I was before I started calling baseball, when I was playing American Legion baseball, we had a, a game one day, and they had a um, umpire that you know missed the call, which you know umpires do that; it happens. But it, the ball bounced over the fence in left field, and they ruled it a home run instead of a ground rule double. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, it was a big game we had. and uh, So I went to bat. They had an umpire, uh, Raymond Pirro. Everybody called him Cuz. I said, I said, Mr. Pirro, I said, you know, that's sad that y'all missed that call, you know, because it bounced over. And he goes, look at here, son. That's him. That's how he would say, look at here, son. Hey, if you think you can do better, when you quit playing baseball, you need to come out here and umpire. And I said, Mr. Perro, after this year, I will be will become an umpire in the high school association. I said, you know, I'm going to be a good one, too. I oh. told him. 
<laughs> you and know, another thing. It's yeah. another thing, yeah. But it was funny, though, because I had two strikes on me, and I said, whoo, that oh, pitch yeah. is close. I better be swinging. He's <laughs> he already call missed one call. He may miss, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't it. him. It was a base umpire. Yeah. But that kind of got me into baseball umpiring. Uh-huh. But what did was I did the basketball when I was a senior. You know, I um, uh, so I went ahead and did baseball with the recreation department. And then actually in the fall— they needed somebody to weigh in the youth football players for their football games. You know, and I got to know them. And, and look, I was dependable. My dad always said, hey, if you have an opportunity, take advantage of it. So I, I started with the football, weigh in the kids. And they were short officials, so I started refereeing football games in weeknights while I was weighing them in. And I started college, too. So I, I enjoyed it. I said, man. I like this. And so I joined the high school associations in football, basketball, and baseball. Is there a training camp they send you to? Or how did you you become proficient at that young age? Because it seems like it'd be easy to not mess up, but it's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility. The the training has has improved greatly, you know, since 50 years ago or 54 years ago. But uh, now uh, we have a lot of training. Then you kind of learn by experience. You know, as you do something and you say, oh, okay, you have a feeling out or safe baseball, a foul in basketball, or you learn the game in, in football. But you, you you learn the game that way as a mm-hmm. player. But you also, a big side of officiating is communication. And that's something, a skill that you learn in dealing with people, you know, over the years. And actually, when I retired, I did 50 years of officiating Wow. You know, I would not retired. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, the training then, you know, but it has gotten so much better. You know, camps are being held across the country. In fact, you know, I handle the high school high school football officials in the Lafayette area, and we, all, we have a big camp July 22nd that we do, we do a lot of training, you know, with officials. Uh, you know, and, of course, as handling the high school football officials, we meet every Monday night. So our goal in training officials is to have them have success. Because mm-hmm. if they're not successful when they're young, yeah. you know, they're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. it sounds like there could be a shortage. So you want to keep there the is ones a that are interested. Yeah. Yeah. We have to move high school football games from Friday night to Thursday night because of the lack of number of officials in high school. Right. We service 48 schools in the Lafayette area. And some Friday nights, we'll, we could have 27 or 28 games. Mm-hmm. But the most I can handle is 20 games on a Friday night. So, you know, on those nights, you know, we'll move games. Uh, now, we've already moved them now for this coming season in, in the fall of 23. So the schools know which ones are moved. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a shortage. It's imperative that we train people to be successful. But it takes a special person to become an official. You know, who wants to be yelled at and be doubted, you know, question every decision you make. Right. And everybody knows, see so much better. In the stands, of course and, you they know, do. Yeah, uh, you know, little Johnny doesn't strikes out at all. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it, it's it's a unique uh, uh, job, and it's challenging. And I, I loved it because I, I I was a competitor. I still compete, and I love competition. When you're a player, you play for W's and L's, wins and losses. Mm-hmm. But as an, an official, you don't get wins and losses, but you get the satisfaction of getting a call right. To get every call that you make, you work hard. When you get it right, that's a W. You know, when you miss a call, well, that's a loss. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, for, as an official. And some people, fans don't see that. You know, they think guys, officials go out there, they have somebody that they already going to win. They want to win the game. But that's not it at all. You know, the officials take pride, and they want to get the play right. You know, but it's just, it's a tough job. It's a split-second decision job that, that officials have to make. You yeah. know, male or female. I'm thinking about two things. Remember that episode with um, Andy Griffith where he was the, wasn't he the ump for his son's, um, you remember that? No, the baseball I, didn't, I don't game? remember well, seeing you know, that. I'm, I'm going to get it for you. I'll send you a link or something. Yeah. But he, anyway, I think he blew the call. And when you're officiating locally, everybody knows you, oh, right? Yes. Like when you're, yes. when you're officiating at the high school level, these are your friends you see at Albertsons or yeah. wherever, like you, mm-hmm. you don't want to be. Oh, you messing see at church and at so church, forth. Yeah. yeah, you know, neighbors. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So it makes it tough, with, you know, with that. But you got to go into every game objectively. You know, I didn't care to work uh, the Saints games, you know, because when you work in the Saints game, well, you know, around here everybody's watching the Saints on Sunday, and I, I didn't want to be in a situation where, man, 
because the next day I'd go to the post office right here in the Owl Center and somebody would say, hey, what about that call? You know, <laughs> you may, and I was, man, you know, or so forth. But, uh, I mean, I did do it, but you got to look at it objectively. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not a team. It's just two teams with uh, uh, different color jerseys. Are you allowed to talk to people about the calls, like after the fact? I know it's mm-hmm. it's history, but, I mean, are you do you have regulations where you're not supposed to discuss? In the things? NFL, yeah, we couldn't do interviews during the season mm-hmm. without the NFL's permission. You know, so uh, that was a no-no. Uh, mm-hmm. and you had to uh, get permission from the league office, what was the interview concerning, mm-hmm. and you had to stick with that. You know, the, yeah, certain rules they had to follow. While we're on the officiating, I want to delve into how you got into the NFL. We're going to save that second half of the interview for parks and recreation because it's just as relevant. Mm-hmm. But I love this thread that you're on. So you you started out high school officiating, and then you moved up. And yeah. let's talk about that. Like, okay. how does one end up? As an well, NFL referee, right. you know I can tell you I really wanted to be a major league baseball umpire. When I was when I graduated from college, I was going to go to umpire school and uh, try to get a job in minor league baseball and work my way up through major league. Another gentleman from Lafayette, uh, Greg Bonan, uh, him and I were going to go to umpire school together, and uh, I got married the June before I graduated. Well, after I graduated, but umpire school was in January. So I uh, thought about it, and I was married. If, if I got a job in the minors, you live out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. You don't make much money. You're gone six months out of the year. That's not a life for a married guy. And so I decided not to go to umpire school and, you know, officiated a high school level. And, you know, I did 16 years of high school football before I got into college football. Now, uh, two gentlemen from the Lafayette area were very instrumental in helping me get into the college officiating. Uh, Coach Nelson Stokely mm-hmm. at uh, USL, well, yeah, USL then, yeah. and one of the assistant coaches, Gerald Broussard. Um, you know, I'd worked a lot of scrimmages, and I was trying to get into the conference that uh, they were playing, even though UL then was in a uh, independent school. They didn't have any conference affiliation, but uh, it was called SOCOA, Southern Independent Football Official Association. So, um, uh, Nelson told me, uh, Coach Stokely said he was going to write a letter recommending me to get into the conference. Uh, he n- kept putting it off, putting it off. He and coaches are busy. And so uh, Gerald said, uh, Coach uh, Broussard said, look, I'm going to write the letter. I'm going to put it on, on Coach Stokely's desk, and he's going to sign it. And that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next thing you know, I got invited to work a scrimmage in Louisville where the, our uh, supervisor lived. And worked in front of him, and he, he hired me. And then I worked, you know, 16 years in the college football. So you try out just like the players do. like Pre- you, kind of, Yeah, yeah. They, you know, pretty much uh, now they have camps, mm-hmm. part of the officiating camps where supervisors observe officials' work. And, and then a lot of word of mouth from guys that have some experience, make recommendations, and they'll, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they'll get looked at officials. So— uh, you know, so I was able to to, to work uh, some college games in football, and uh, I was working a bowl game in um, uh, San in, uh, San Diego, a Holiday Bowl, and one of the guys that I used to work college football with was in the NFL, and he'd call me and he said, "Greg, have you ever thought about applying to the NFL?" And I said, "Nah, Jeff." I said. In my mind, you know, I was a college official, the NFL's up here and I'm down here. You know, I mean, little old boy from Lafayette, country boy. I said, nah. He said, well, would you like to work in the NFL? I said, well, yeah, I'd like to. So he said, look, I'm going to send you the process of application process that they use and, you know, you can send it in. You You never know. I said, okay. Well, he sent me the information. I never responded to it because I guess I didn't have... I doubted myself, mm-hmm. maybe, and I didn't do it. And he called me back and said later, a few months, you know, he says, Greg, did you apply? I said, no, Jeff. I said, well, he says, Greg, what do you have to lose? You know, I said, well, you're right. What do I have to it's lose? good life advice. You know, yeah. So I applied. Well, that fall, they had a supervisor from the NFL office at a game that was working in Rutgers. Rutgers and Tulane was playing, I was, and I worked up in uh, at Rutgers in uh, next thing you know, I get an invitation to go work the spring football league in NFL Europe. Wow. And uh, 
which was a training ground for the NFL. Now, they don't have the NFL Europe League anymore. Mm -hmm. But so I ended up working four years, four consecutive years in the Europe League in the spring. And then I got invited to work in the NFL with the 2002 season. What's your wife think? Oh, I mean, she loved the trips to Europe. You know, we, you would make <laughs> <laughs> you'd make two trips at a time uh-huh. in a season, and you'd work two games. And they pay your expenses. Yeah, so. oh yeah, everything. It was a paid vacation. It was, yeah, man, it was a, what an opportunity. Oh, it was great. You know, it's funny. I got a text from one of the guys today who retired last season, and we were talking about the NFL Europe, how mm-hmm. great it was, and you know, we learned a lot of football at that time. They'd have a supervisor that would spend the 12 days with you, with the officials, and they learn what kind of person you were on and off the field. Your ability, can you officiate football, number one, but can you spend, like in the NFL, 20 weekends with the same group of guys, and how do you get along? How Mm -hmm. do you gel with them? You know, so that was all part of the process, you know, uh, with that. And, of course, also part of the process, I went to New York and I visited with two psychologists for three hours, uh, part of the interview process of getting the NFL. You must have passed the test. Well, yeah, but I, I, halfway through it, the guy says, well, Mr. Gotro, there was two of them. He says, uh, would you like a break? And uh, I said, well, no, I'm okay. Let's keep going. Well, the guy says, well, we need a break. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, 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 okay, we better have a break. Anyway. Time for a Kit Kat. <laughs> yeah, time, yeah. And so anyway, it went. It went yeah. But it was a lot of, lot of steps in the process yeah. of becoming an official, but— you know, it's it's all been NFL Europe was great. The opportunities, like I was saying, my wife would make one trip mm-hmm. out of the two, but she taught school, and the second trip was kind of in the summertime. And, you know, so uh, that was kind of tough sometimes because I'd use up all my vacation days. You were working with with the parks department, yeah, at so, the time, yeah. yeah, and I'd use up my vacation days. And there was a couple of times where uh, I had to go leave without pay because mm-hmm. I ran out of my vacations. I really mm-hmm. couldn't take sick leave, you know, right. with that. So. But, uh, you know, uh, Gerald Boudreaux was our director mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, Gerald uh, recognized how valuable that was, and too. And, and he knew if he needed me any other time, you know, that I was always there. I wasn't just mm-hmm. a 40-hour guy a week. You know, work had to be done. You know, I had a passion for right. officiating. I had a passion for my recreation job. But I was very fortunate to be in that situation to have the opportunity to you know, try to get in the NFL, get in the NFL, but continue to keep my uh, my weekday job because the NFL, our contracts are year to year and it's based on performance. So, you know, I hated to lo- quit my job and then, you know, yeah, not, get not perform well yeah. in the NFL and, mm-hmm. you know, starting all over again. So I was blessed, you know, with that uh-huh. opportunity. And so. Can you talk about the physical attributes that of, you know, NFL official needs? Because those guys on the field are huge. And I don't know if you've ever been clobbered, but you have to be in pretty good shape, right, to manage yourself on the field. Yeah. First of all, you know, the perception of an official, if you're not in shape, you can't move and you can't cover the game. So even though you can still move, you know, as maybe being a little overweight, you know, uh, but the perception is if you're overweight, you can't Mm -hmm. move. So, you know, you have to feel that. I didn't think I'd get in the NFL because I was too short. Some, if you look at most of the I was one of the shortest officials in the league. Might have been, you know, two two guys maybe shorter than me because they want that athletic bill, you know, tall, slender, muscular, two combination. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Ed Hockley, you know, the guy with the weights, you know, who retired years ago. But they, they like that look in an official, the athletic type. And so I said, man, I'm too short, you know, looking at other guys. But the physical demands, you know, I I didn't find it hard because – I had a routine that I'd, I'd run four or five miles in the morning every day. You know, I'd, I'd get an elliptical or, uh, and do that. Uh, I'd sit in a sauna every day and swim every day. That was part of my routine in the league, but I still do the routine. But, you know, I, they say that in my position, an average official as a field judge would run from six to uh, six and a half miles a game, combination of run, oh, walk. Oh, my goodness. And, and so— well, that makes sense, just covering the field. Yeah, moving, yeah. you know, walking, not, you know, then jogging, then sometimes you're running backwards. Uh, Dodging. <laughs> you, you know, but uh, physically, mm-hmm. I, I never thought that was an issue. We had mm-hmm. to do uh, fitness testing. Uh, we would do that in May when we would go to New York for our physicals. They'd also do the uh, fitness testing where we'd have to do uh, so many sprints, 
under a certain time. They, you know, they they would check our uh, BMI. They would uh, do core strength, how many push-ups, sit-ups, kind of some fitness yeah. things that, you know. Uh, All of us should have yeah. to probably undergo. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> but I had a reason to do it, you know, and yeah. so I kept myself in shape that way. But physically, it, it was challenging but fun. How you know, many officials but, are there each year? There's a, there's 119 active officials uh, in the league. There's uh, 17 crews, and there's uh, seven uh, officials on each crew. You know, with that, so it makes it 119 that that are working. At, you know, now there's always a crew off. You work as a crew with your referee, and uh, so it's not like extras. You know, somebody's hurt. Well, they get somebody that's from the crew that's off to work. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they'll get somebody to double dip. If you have a Thursday night game, then they'll you might work again on on Sunday if if wow. you know if if it's needed. So you'd work Monday night football yeah. some Thursday Pretty nights. Much, yeah. So Monday. you really had to balance your work life here in Lafayette. Yes, yes, and that's why I was very thankful that mm-hmm. uh, the administrations that I worked for here was was you know was you know let me do that you uh-huh. know because they could have been a lot of guys had trouble. Because either they couldn't get off of work to do some things to move up, you know, and so if you can't, you don't have that uh, availability, mm-hmm. then you're not going to have the opportunity. Right. It all comes hand in hand. I had asked you when we were talking, you know, I had the opportunity to visit with you and your wife, and I asked you, how does somebody get to officiate the Super Bowl? And you were telling me that you have to start first with perfection and then improve. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing about officiating. Everybody expects you to start out perfect. Then they want you to get better. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's we're human, you know. We, but uh, the evaluation process, we get graded every game. Every play is evaluated on Monday and Tuesday in the NFL office in New York. And actually, they'll give you a possibly incorrect call if you made one. And it's not they didn't want it called if you had a holding and you didn't want it. Or they would give you uh, uh, a no call where you're supposed to have a foul on the play and you didn't call it. And each position is, has certain areas of responsibility, so they could tag it to whatever official, mm-hmm. depending where the action occurred. And then they would give you incorrect mechanic, you know, maybe out of position. Uh, you know, that, all these were part of the grading process: your physical appearance, how well you move. And at the end of year, at the end of the year, you'd have a cumulative score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's if you finish first in your position, then you would n- normally be assigned to the Super Bowl. If you finish second or third in your position, then you get to work one of the championship games. Mm-hmm. And so that's how postseason was signed by your rankings you know, right. among your peers. I'm curious with the course of your career, the length of it, um, as the incidents and knowledge of brain damage, you know, CTE, um, Unsportsmanlike uh-huh. conduct relating to the demise of a lot of players. Was that something you were worried about at the beginning when you were officiating, or um, how, how did that change? If you can well, comment on that, the game has changed in the twenty years I worked in the league. The game has changed tremendously as far as safety concerns. You know, uh, when I first got in, you know, people love to see fans love to see these collisions where they would just wipe somebody out, you know, and which were legal plays back then. And, but as the game changed and, you know, with safety and the concussions, they, uh, the rules have had modified tremendously. What kind of hits hit, you know, hits with the head, putting your head down, Mm -hmm. you know, that hits on defenseless receivers, you know, hits on punt returners. I can remember I had a game at, uh, up in, uh, uh, New England when Kevin Falk, was uh, playing for uh, the Patriots, and he was a punt return. And I can remember Kevin catching a punt, and at, I mean, right as he's catching the punt, which was legal, the guy just—I mean—he lunged off at him and hit him full force in Kevin's chest. Oh gosh! And I mean, he knocked him to the ground. Kevin got up and he staggered to the sideline, you know, with that. And I said, "Man, that's a vicious hit." But by the football rules, that yeah. was legal at that time. Now. You know, that, that's a foul. That, and then it could, could even be an ejectable foul, mm-hmm. a flagrant foul where the player could be ejected depending on, yeah. you know, uh, the hit. But since then, you know, it's just it's changed tremendously. Blocking, where they can block, low block zones, blocks and, you know, blindside blocks, all these rules in the 20 years was changed for the safety, for the player's yeah. safety. 
Yeah. That must have been difficult, though, to see well, some of that. Yeah, it is. It is difficult to see. You know, I've seen guys' legs is just, you know, with the— I mean, the leg is just broken, and uh, you say, you know, just he's like it's not supposed to go that direction, you know. And you've seen hits, and uh, you know, but th- that was the nature of football. Yeah. And of course, some people say now, well, pretty soon they're going to be playing touch football, you know, and, and instead of tackle, perf- you know. But it is, you know, the players. Uh, I mean, it, it's a career. Players they they make a choice to play football, and they're well yeah. compensated for it. Yeah. But uh, still, you know, I mean, it's it's a uh, uh, career, I mean, you, you know, players, average NFL player, I believe, is like their life is four to five years. You know, I mean, that's the average. You consider the number of players in a league, mm-hmm. but I mean, you have the Tom Brady's that go on forever. The yeah. you know, those guys, guys, but but uh, that's the average life. So uh, they're compensated a, a lot for that time they're mm-hmm. there. But uh, and they love it. They love you know. it. Yeah, it's like you know. I, I love playing. I love, you know, but I didn't have the talents or the size to get to the next level to play college yeah. and so forth. But I tell you what, that turned that passion into the officiating side. And, you know, I had just as much fun. I never thought that working youth basketball games or youth football games on Saturdays, on the weekends, would give me a chance to be mm-hmm. a, a professional football official. Right. You know, I just, you know. Uh, thank God every day for that opportunity, and it could have been to somebody else, you know. So, well, when in your home study, I love you know the memorabilia, and when I saw the the jersey that you wore bounded, and you've got so many mementos. What was it like to get that call to be invited to officiate? I mean, what well, was it? You know, Super it's funny. Super Bowl Forty Three. It was funny. You know, I knew I was having a good year. I had two misses, and you know, he figured in twenty four. Hundred calls, plays that I worked throughout that that season. I had two misses, and going into week uh, seventeen, I felt like I had a chance to go to the, uh, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And you know, my wife was a very—I I can tell you—she supported me so much in my career choice, and she never—I mean, she—I mean, really, some guys can't because they don't have the family support, but she did. And and where I'm going with this, that I would call her. On Sunday nights when I'd get to the airport, come in to fly back, I'd call her and I'd say, okay, Bet, um, what plays I need to look at? Oh, really? Yeah, because she you know, knew the, the game. She would watch, no, she would watch yeah. the game on, on TV. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and by watching the game on TV, she would see things. She learned to see things, and, of course, from the announcers and yeah. what was said on plays. That So I'd call her and say, hey, what plays I need to look at? Was when I'd get on the plane, I had a, 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 DVD, a stick, whatever, uh, of the game, the TV version, and I'd watch it on the plane coming back in certain plays. So I'd want to go to those plays first. Anyway, for the last week of the season, I have a close play at the sideline at Buffalo. Is it a hit out of bounds or is he inbounds? It's real tight, you know, and I passed on it. I didn't throw it. And so when I called her, first thing she says, well, I hope that 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 foul you missed <laughs> on the sideline doesn't keep you out of the Super Bowl. Oh, great. <laughs> I, said, I said, oh, it was that obvious? She says, yes, you missed it. <laughs> and I said, uh-oh. I said, well, you know, but it obviously it didn't keep me out mm-hmm. of working the Super Bowl. So when I got the call for the Super Bowl, what a, I, I just— What an achievement. Yeah, it was—I uh, I can't tell you how excited I was, uh, you know, and— in working in the NFL, and I, I say I thank God a lot, you know, and one of the things about the NFL is Sunday games, most of them. And, you know, with that schedule, you know, I, you don't have many opportunities to go to, to being a Catholic, going to Mass on Sundays. So I don't have many opportunities. So what I did all the years, the 20 years I was in the NFL, I said, look, I'm going to go to weekday Mass, Monday through Friday. So I figured the five weekday Masses – would give me credit if I had missed Sunday I mass. I think God you understood. Know? Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> that, I don't know what but, God thinks, but hopefully. But yeah. anyway, that was something, you know, that was, uh, and beautiful. I thank God that, and um, uh, it was just a wonderful experience to, to be able to get to the Super Bowl. And when you go to a Super Bowl, you know, uh, you don't want to be noticed because usually if you notice, it's, it's something that went wrong. Yeah. It's something that went wrong. And, you know, I have a call uh, with 30 seconds to go. It's Arizona-Pittsburgh back-and-forth game. It's a tight catch in the end zone. You know, uh, Santonio Holmes, does he have both feet down? Does mm-hmm. he have control of the ball? And he's falling out of bounds all at one time. And it puts uh, puts Pittsburgh up. Uh, and 
course, it goes to replay, it goes to review, and they confirmed the call that it was correct. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to, you know, to, to go to the Super Bowl, to have a game deciding call and get it right yeah. at the same time. Right. You know, and when uh, after the game was over, uh, I was in the dressing room, our supervisor, Mike Pereira, comes in. And, you know, he just, you know, he was just, I could tell by the look in his eyes, you know, that, uh, you know, you nailed that call. And, and you know, to get that, it was just, yeah, emotionally from that, it's just such a high that I just, I had tears in my eyes. It was just a, a wonderful experience, yeah. you know. And my whole family was there. Mm-hmm. I told my kids that uh, uh, if I got to the Super Bowl, they were all going to come and, you know, their families and so forth. And so uh, to have them there, yeah. it was a great opportunity. What a memory. I, my son, uh, my oldest son, actually, he's a football official, and he's a referee in the Southeastern Conference uh, also. Uh, you know, each year I would buy four Super Bowl tickets. You had an opportunity as an official to buy them. And then, uh, you know, so— How much are they? Well, it varies. Yeah. You know, now— <laughs> they're, they're not free to you, now right? You like, have to buy uh, them. Like, you know, the face value is like $1,900. It varies. Mm-hmm. It went up. When the year I worked it— it was uh, uh, the tickets were eight hundred dollars a piece, and and uh, that's I needed, a chunk of change. Though. Yeah, I needed thirteen tickets, you know, for, for Ooh, my family. Great. And then it was in, a game was in Tampa, so I actually lost some <laughs> money, you know, <laughs> flying them to Tampa, you know, and then the whole bid. But it was yeah, well still. worth it. But it was funny. I was talking about the Super Bowl tickets. I'd have tickets every year, and uh, two of them would would go to uh, St. Genevieve. They'd do a fundraiser, you know, for their school with the Super Bowl tickets, and the other two. My oldest son, Daniel, says, he said, when he was in Houston one year, he said, Dad, you want to go to the Super Bowl? And so I said, nah, I'm not going to go. Uh, we, you know, somebody will buy my tickets, you know. And so he said, well, I said, when I work it, we'll go. He said, well, Dad, I guess we'll never go. Oh, <laughs> so he thanks a lot. So yeah. when I went to the Super Bowl, I said, I told him I was joking. I said, Daniel, you staying home now? <laughs> but anyway, that was just so I can't ex- express when you're talking about these games, and I love the memories because that, that's what makes you Greg. I mean, your love of the sport and the yeah. integrity. But I'm going to make a stereotype comment, and it's about guys, Jason. But it's funny how guys will remember everything about, let's say, a football game. Yeah. And, of course, you did because you were there. But, like, my husband will be the same. But if we said something over breakfast or lunch, like, gone, you know, just— what is it about sports and guys? I'm sure there are some women, but I'm I'm being stereotypical yeah, in this no, judgment. I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's it, the sports. You know, a lot of guys live for the sports. Now, I can tell you, I'm not a fan of the game. Now, per se, do I watch ESPN? Know who's being traded? Who's going to, with his team? Who's in? You know, just everything mm-hmm. about the game. I don't. You didn't I, watch the draft that was just no, going no, on? No, I have no interest days in the draft. Or whatever. Yeah. I have no interest. My brother-in-law was there the whole time yeah. taking you notes, see, you know, bemoaning could, the Bears, like what's going on. <laughs> right, and I could care less who goes. You know, that was my job, and I'd go and officiate. Uh-huh. I didn't want to know, you yeah. know, this guy's here, this guy, you know, like on fantasy teams. You know, uh, I could say um, I never played fantasy football. I couldn't, of course. <laughs> I yeah, joke. you couldn't gamble. No, yeah. no, I know. I always joke about it. Say my fantasy team did real good this year. You know, <laughs> to my friends, close friends. But, but uh, I, I didn't ever had it. I, I couldn't tell you. So a lot of guys asked me about you know, Joe Blow. I said, who's that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I just not not a fan. Now, do I watch it now on Sundays? No, I don't. You know, it, uh, I watch my son's game because, you know, we talk about it after mm-hmm. the game. And I, I do grade a college game officials. I do that one, one, one game a week in the fall. I watch that, and then I'll review it back and forth, you know, degrading it. But to watch a game, it's hard. I find that I find it boring, you know, because everybody's watching the ball carrier do this. That's what TV's showing. But when I did the officiated, yeah. I watched my area of responsibility. And what was that? Can you, you know, explain? Um, I watched a, a lot of the re- passes, the receivers on the wide side of the field, on my side. I watched a lot of blocking mm-hmm. ahead of the play, holding, pass interference calls, defensive holding calls. Uh, on a regular scrimmage play, on punts, I was down with the receivers, you know, on and watching blocking coming up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had an area of responsibility uh, that uh, I didn't watch the ball much, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I watch it on TV, it's, it's not the same. And it's, it's something that uh, and I just I can't get excited about it. Yeah. 
You know, I'll watch the officials work. When there's a flag on the play that the game might be on, then I'll go to and, okay, let's see this play. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's a good call. Mm, I don't know about that. You know, to, in my mind, depending on the camera angle that I see, that's what I, I like more. The technical than, yeah, aspect. Yeah, than, than the, mm-hmm. the players in, in, the, in the game. Uh-huh. You know, uh, they say, man, y'all saw uh, this guy had so many uh, uh, yards rushing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't follow that. Same thing with baseball umpiring. You know, I had a chance to work college baseball. I worked in the Southeastern Conference as a baseball umpire. And when I go to a game, I watch the umpires work, you know. And you can't see the umpires on TV except the plate umpire. Mm-hmm. But I'll watch how they rotate on the field if I'm at a UL baseball game, how they rotate, how they're covering, their mannerism. Mm-hmm. You know, because I used to always watch officials coming up. And I learned, I said, man, I like what that guy does. You know, oh, I don't like that. He looks mm-hmm. too cocky or whatever the case may be. And that's all became part of my officiating repertoire that helped me become, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of official. You know, you do just you, you just learn that way. Do you think most of the officials are humble or do you think there are some well, cocky ones out there? I think you, it's a balance an official needs. You need to have a certain amount of arrogance without being coming over too strong because you have to believe in yourself out there. Nobody else is going to believe in you except your partner that you're working with in a game. So, you, you know, you have to, you know, you, you really have to believe in yourself, but you, you have to, you can't be so arrogant that you have to get the last word in. As officials, you have to learn to communicate. You, gotta, you have to listen. You have to hear what coaches are saying. Most coaches, are, you know, or players, they just want to get something off their chest. You know, and if, uh, let them, if they make a statement, fine. If they ask the question, answer it. But when they make statements, doesn't mean you have to, uh, re, you know, uh, re, have a go into a debate with them or you get the last word in, you know. And so, and it, that's your personality. That's what really comes out in, in dealing w- with uh, with coaches. And, and I think that's what helped me a lot with the Parks Department, you know. Good segue. To people, you, know, <laughs> you know, really, it, yeah. th- that's what uh-huh. communication is. Yeah. And, and that's what's so important. I right. love, I like to see people happy. You know, I want them to see content mm-hmm. and you work with them. But sometimes if they're angry, you have to have, okay, my goal was when we get off the phone or if out of our meeting, when we conclude the meeting or the phone call, I want them to be satisfied. Feel like, okay, they, they, they had made some progress. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes there's no solution, but when you can, that's mm-hmm. all important when working, especially with the public. You, know? you had a top position, you know, working right under um, Gerald Boudreaux, his, his supervision. And I can imagine you weren't getting phone calls from people that were just delighted with things. You would hear, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> some occasions, legitimate. You yeah. would get that, you know, yeah. working with different groups, if it was the Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. working on this project or, you know, uh, just whatever. But most time it was just, it was problems, it was complaints, mm-hmm. issues that needed to be resolved. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, I had to listen. And obviously... All the complaints came to me, and then if they weren't satisfied, then you know, the maybe chain. they would go to uh, go up a chain. Or sometimes, of course, calls would go to the city administration mm-hmm. at city hall. But you know, hopefully, we were able to handle that before it got to that point. I think our local parks department does a yeoman's job because it is not funded adequately. I mean, if you can discuss that, in there like two mills. Yeah, in the city of Lafayette, you know, the, the parks program is parish-wide, but you have a, a two mills in within the city limits. That was that, passed back in the early 60s. Back in the 60s. late 50s. Yeah, yeah okay. Like 59, if I'm not okay. mistaken. And uh, When there were about four parks. Yeah, there were very few parks then, and now it's right under— uh, well, we, they did. Some of the parish parks were moved to some of the small towns, mm-hmm. but we're in the neighborhood of, I think, uh, 28 uh, city parks in, in, the, in the city limits. You know, so uh, that's quite a number of parks to have with uh, two, two mills coming in, which is a little over $2 million a year. So most of the funding is coming from the city's general fund, which city's general fund competes from with fire and police and other agencies within the city. Right. So talk about what you did. I know you moved up the food chain there, too, and um, well, I know you loved— you loved that public service. I uh, I, I enjoyed my I enjoyed my time there. Uh, I worked 16 years part time with the parks department. You know, running uh, the uh, like working with youth football, basketball, and baseball. And then in, it was in '74, they were looking for uh, a part time, well, somebody to run the adult softball program in Lafayette. 
Earl Chris was the uh, assistant superintendent at the time, and he handled the, the, the softball program. Well, they hired a coach uh, to do it in the summer. Well, he got a, a full-time job in, in June, and so he left. And so they were looking for somebody, and I was already there doing some other things. They liked me, so Earl Chris and uh, Wayne Wills took me under their wings and said, hey, would you like to run the adult softball program? I was young. I mean, I was, what, 19 years old. And, you know, uh, they had maybe, uh, you know, 90 to 100 softball teams in Lafayette then. It's amazing and, how many teams they had. Well, the, but the program grew from that number to 310 teams. And we were playing all over the parish of Lafayette. We had softball. pro, And, you know, I enjoyed that. I worked with all the managers. I did all the scheduling of the games. I scheduled the umpires, trained the umpires. We worked in classrooms. We administered the test for them. Uh, you know, just running the whole program. And I, I love that. And I was teaching school at the time. I taught uh, 12 years. And so I'd work after school. And I'd work, you know, get to the office about 3.15 and work till 8, 9 o'clock, you know, uh, doing that. And it, I had a game to officiate, and I worked the schedule around. Uh, I mean, you know, I juggled things uh, a you lot did. to make it work. Yeah. But uh, uh, the part-time work, and then in, uh, Gerald, uh, had, Gerald Boudreau was was also working at the Parks Department at the time, and he tried to get me to go full-time earlier in, the career, in my career. But uh, just the job wasn't right. Then back when, I think it was in uh, 80, 86, yeah, 86, at the time, there was an opening for the—Gerald uh, was the parish recreation director at the time. He moved over to the city, became the city's recreation director. Walter Como was the parish president, and so they were hiring a, uh, a parish recreation director. And uh, I applied, and, you know, I got that position in 86, so we ran parish-wide programs together. 89, the city parish consolidated— uh, Gerald became the recreation director, and I became the athletic programs manager, which was a civil service position. And from there, you know, uh, we uh, I went. Uh, of course, I quit the softball program. I mean, uh, running it, we had an, uh, hired a guy to do that part time. I still work with him because I loved working with the managers. You know, it was fun. But I had other responsibilities, and I, that's when I became handling the, uh, the swimming pools, the tennis programs. The athletic programs with the youth, with the, all the various neighborhoods who had a staff, athletic athletic supervisor with recreation coordinators that uh, worked with the programs. Uh, therapeutic recreation was a program that we had for handicapped children and adults. Uh, also worked with uh, uh, the, uh, well, uh, therapeutic also worked with various nursing homes at the time. Uh, and let's see what else we had. Uh, I don't think most people realize how much goes on. Yeah, oh, How yeah. much did go on? I think I think yeah. some of those Some of those cut. programs were eliminated yeah. uh, uh, recently, and therapeutic was re- uh, 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 eliminated. The swimming pools, you know, they the, the pools were old, and I think they haven't been opening in a few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure if they're going to put some money back into them. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a part of quality of life, if, if my opinion. But Yeah, me too. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> But uh, so, you know, with, with that, uh, worked with the youth associations. We had various associations within the parish that organized uh, programming for the youth, if it was in baseball, volleyball, basketball, football. Mm-hmm. And uh, our staff coordinated uh, the, the schedules and all the activities. I'm taken by the number. You were just talking about baseball teams, but things have evolved, right? Like people used to really get more involved in this kind of extracurricular Sporting, yeah, we had sporting leagues. The, the, you know, times have changed as far as um, uh, the youth sports. We've had more travel teams. You know, at first when it came out, it was known as a select team. Your better players, you know, would, would go out and compete on uh, weekend tournaments. But now that, that has grown so much to travel teams where anybody can get a team together and they go play on weekends. And that, that has hurt the recreation programs mm. over the years. Numbers have dwindled because uh, of uh, because of the travel teams. What also dwindled was the volunteers mm-hmm. because these same people that now are with travel baseball were the volunteers that worked with the youth associations within the neighborhood program. So we lost a, you know, a lot of the help. Now, we still they were still getting— 
you know, uh, parents to be involved. But, uh, you know, your uh, coaches are volunteers. You know, they would go through a coaching program, a uh, certification program uh, at the time. And uh, the quality of coaches probably went down a little bit, too, because, you know, the, the, your better coaches were kind of more involved in the travel team. So that, that hurt, too. But, mm-hmm. uh, but the numbers were large. At one time in youth programs, we've had, you know, uh, 18 to, th- 18 to 19,000 youths participating in the various programs. Parish one. I know, it's amazing. You know, Falafia. It's so wholesome. You know, I mean, it's still good, and recreation yeah. programs are good. You know, if you're there playing sports on a travel team or playing recreation, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's still important. Kids are being involved. They're active. Mm-hmm. But I think what's hurt also recreation over the years has been computers, games. You know, the old thumbs now, they're getting more, more you know, that, of course, they have been, you know, the last, what, 15 years maybe, you know, that's been more popular, electronics and so forth. And that, that has hurt, uh, you know, kids are not wanting to go out outside as much as they used right. to be involved, you know. Right. Uh, so there's many factors, but changes in, 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 uh, in life, mm-hmm. you know. So. I'm curious about the golf courses. Um, I know that they're probably not money makers, but people enjoy, many people still enjoy playing golf Oh, definitely. Here. You know, Lafayette has three public courses that uh, the city manages. You know, of course, you have— uh, uh, the Lionel Hebert course out at uh, off of Mud Street, which is the oldest course. And then you have uh, Vauchain's on the south side, uh, close to Youngsville, which is uh, on the city of Laf- city property, mm-hmm. uh, Lafayette, not Youngsville. And then you have Wetlands on the north end off of Karen Crow Highway with the three courses. And um, it, 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 the, um, the green fees, the registration fees collected, pretty much when I was there looking back, it was close to covering the cost of the course, of managing it. It was close. You know, it varied you know, depending on what kind of year you had, season with rain and, and so forth. But uh, it didn't cover any capital improvements, uh, you know, uh, ma- uh, maintenance mm-hmm. beyond the, the day-to-day maintenance. And so that, that, was, that came out of the city's general fund, too. And some people felt, well, golf course, golfing should, be, should pay for itself. It's only a certain— uh, members of the community that use it, not everybody, but it's the quality of life too. Mm-hmm. And when you, you in effect bring in people to play golf, you know, it also brings in revenues in other areas that affects the quality yeah. of people moving into Lafayette. Especially as people retire too. Well, I know that they, they really use the courses. I, I'm a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, I, I didn't play golf uh until after I retired from the city of Lafayette, even though we had golf courses and I wanted to play, I just didn't have time, Mm -hmm. you know, with the family and what I did, you know, I just didn't. But when I retired, now I'm playing golf three or four days a week. That's awesome. And I have a membership at the city courses. Mm -hmm. And and I have to buy the membership. Retired employees Mm -hmm. don't get any benefits. So what is it like? How much is it a year? Well, for senior fees, for membership at Voshane's and uh, – Muni, I call it Muni A Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know eight hundred dollars a year. That's that's you know, great. It's just, yeah. it's a pretty good price. Uh, yeah. Now it doesn't include any carts, you know, so it's a twenty dollar rental. But uh, I usually walk, mm-hmm. so uh, I take advantage of that. Uh, the, the courses, uh, you know, it's it's golf is a good game. It's a challenging game. It's a frustrating game. You compete against uh, you know yourself in golf, you know, and you you know it's it's a frustrating. And you can play well one day, the next day you go play, and man, have I played this game before? You know that kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah, I've know? never, I've never been good. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, and now I'll travel too. Uh, uh, fact, actually, tomorrow we're going. We have a senior group in Lafayette. We're going to play in Jennings, on, on uh, as as a senior group. Uh, you know. A lot of Thursdays, I'll travel to go play in Abbeville, of course, there. Sometimes uh, Cane Row, New Iberia. I, uh, I just I love to be on a course. There's something about a, a, the beautification of a golf course, the greenery, the greens. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty. It's like a baseball field. Or, it's, you know, it's manicured well. Right. And, it, you know, it makes you, it makes you happy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it makes me happy and it makes me want to be out there and you appreciate, you know, uh, uh just the beauty. Mm-hmm. The forum is another place. It's private. You know, it, yeah, you can beautiful. walk on and play. It's, you know, it's, it's a pretty course. The co- you know, uh, golf is a good game, and it's, it's a good it's good for the community. 
I was out at um, Oakbourne last week. There was a fundraiser out there, I think, for Sky High. And I... We used to be members a while back, and we, we haven't been in a few years, but I forgot how beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so lush, you know, so well-maintained. And, yeah, and you look at the green fairways, it's you know, beautiful. the greens itself yeah. and the trees and, you know, just the whole atmosphere. And mm-hmm. you have a blue sky, and you look at it's it perfection. and you say, oh, yeah, you know, you say, nice job, God, you know. Exactly. It's just, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, you appreciate it, you know, mm-hmm. and you hit a bad shot, you say, oh, man. Come on, God, help me with the shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jason, do you have any? Um, Jason Sikora is here taping our show. Do you have any questions? I certainly do. Greg, <laughs> thank you for being here. Well, this is all right up my alley because my first job was at a golf course. Shortly oh. after that, I was a hockey ref. I don't and, know that. And, and I'm at the parks every weekend with my dogs. So, like, I could we could have a whole other podcast here. <laughs> um, staying on the the, the parks uh, subject right now. This is a very subjective question, but what makes, in your opinion, a good park versus a bad park? Well, I think you know, you need to have uh, you have to have a, a park that people want to come out to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if the, if you have enough activities there where people want to be there and they enjoy being there, you know, you see a family with if it's a playground, you know, you, just the activities that attracts you know in, uh, uh, the citizens. Dog park, you mentioned, you know, you uh, take advantage of a dog park. That's a wonderful place. People socialize, their dogs are there. It's a chance to meet people, normally have the same interests. You know, I think dog parks are wonderful. And also, it kind of contains the the dog (laughs) mess, you know, outside in a a park. And so it's in one area. And I find that, you know, like uh, dog dog owners, they, they, they take pride in a dog park. You know, they want to see things there. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed about my job in working. Like when we built the first dog park we had was our youth park off of Johnson Street, now part of the uh, uh, UL, mm-hmm. UL Apartments Complex. It was a dog park there. And, and working with all the, the patrons that would come, and we had a little committee that would kind of oversee and work and, and see what they wanted and what we could do. You know, that was all part of of making improvements. You know, if we had the bike trail, you know, uh, uh, you had the bikers and wanted to go to Acadiana Park to go ride bikes, you know, working with that group, you know, let's make it. What can we make more attractive? What's going to bring more bikers out, more disc golfers out? Some specialty things besides just sports. You know, I I love sports, but we want it to be unique and bring things to Lafayette that that was new. You know, some, you know, that... Other places had Lafayette didn't. That makes you know? sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, and you mentioned Acadiana Park. I love that park. Yeah. I, love, I love the trails. Beautiful. Yeah. The trails yeah. and the, you know the disc golf courses yeah. in the trail. I forgot about that. You, know? you had mentioned that when yeah. we met the first time. Yeah, that's you know disc and golf the, the bike trail, fun. disc golf. You know yeah. we have thirty six holes at Acadiana Park and disc uh-huh. golf. We have eighteen at Hyman Park. <clears throat> we have uh, eighteen at Paul Davis Park. And of course nine at Gerard Park. Yeah. And that's where we started at, at Gerard Park. Actually, you see, and I I did a lot of when I was on the road. I was at Western Kentucky. This was probably, and I, I don't remember the year. I was at the university there, and I saw these baskets in the middle of the field, and I saw <laughs> what appeared to be uh, frisbees being thrown towards uh, the baskets. So, you know, I was curious, and I went, and then I investigated, and I found that was di- found out that was disc golf. Well, I came back to Lafayette. I told our director, Gerald Boudreau, I said, hey, we're going to put some baskets up. We're going to have disc golf. He says, Disc golf, what is that? <laughs> so I explained to him, and he says, are you crazy? I said, no, I tell you, you know. And so I said, look, let's, it's, uh, I found that there it was at a college campus, young people, you know, students were playing it. Let's do it at Gerard Park. It's across from the, uh, the campus. Yeah. Let's see how that goes at first. And it went really well. And then that's when we developed 18 out of the uh, Katie Park, and then we came back and developed another 18 additional okay. holes to get to 36, and we did Hyman Park. Oh, wow. You know, uh, that's a beautiful park, Hyman Park. That's it is. not well. It's not. It's not used, utilized mm-hmm. enough. Interesting. You know? You know? Well, some of the employees here at Raider, three, four times a week, go to Gerard Park. Yeah, they do. Right, so yeah. convenient. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's, I mean, it's right there. You know, for it's, us, it's so, not yeah. not costly. Yeah. You know, you need to get a few discs. You have your bag, and you know, there's no uh, fee to play. Yeah. You know, you go on your own. You know, and that, that's part of it's free time activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people that enjoy want to do something they enjoy. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be playing baseball or basketball. It's anything that you enjoy outdoors. It's part of recreation. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, moving over to the NFL, or actually just officiating, uh, kind of a two-part question. 
how does somebody get involved in officiating on a local level? And I was a horrible hockey ref, by the way. I only lasted one season. I had to leave. I had too many parents yelling at me. So <laughs> You didn't so, yell back at them, did you? No, 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 no. <laughs> I never. lowered my head and walked to my little locker room. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, but what qualities and traits do you look for in, in somebody? Or, or what should we, if I wanted to do that, what should I focus on to be a better well, I think, you know, you have to know, you have to know the, the you have knowledge of the game. You have yeah. to know the rules, obviously. And then besides, you know, understanding, you know, what's what's uh, a foul, what's not a foul, whatever, in basketball or in football. Mm-hmm. It's a knowledge and it's something that you're going to uh, acquire over time. And But if someone's interested in becoming an official, you know, all, really all they have to do is if they can contact me, I can put them in the whatever because – Actually, I, I, I'm on the board for the baseball umpires. I serve as their treasurer. Oh, okay. uh, uh, basketball officials in the area. Actually, my son's the uh, the uh, regional coordinator. I'm the regional coordinator for the officials in football, uh, baseball. I, I mentioned, but I can uh, volleyball. We have uh, Ruthie Duga who handles that. Softball. James Monterana. So we have people that contact when they start meeting. They all have meetings to go over uh, the rules, the mechanics, understanding the game. We try to teach them because, you know, just because you played the sport doesn't mean you can come in and officiate the sport. And we understand that. So we try to make it where you're going to be successful, you know, to move on in officiating. And then some people, you know, just want to work at the high school level. You know, and some people, you know, they said, you know what, I'd like to have an opportunity to work in the next level, you know, in college. And and so we've been fortunate. We've had a lot of officials from the Lafayette area because of the training and, you know, the, the, what they understand. We Lafayette's respected across the state and really across, somewhat across the country. We have a camp, I mentioned, it's going to be held July 22nd. And we have uh, Carl Chaffers, who's, who was refereeing in the Super Bowl last year, who's going to come down and be the guest speaker. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. and we have, uh, of course, you know, I know these guys. And so yeah. and they, if you have a few others that are coming, Walt Coleman, who is a retired official, who refereed in the NFL for 30 years, and he's coming. And, you know, a few other uh, uh, college uh, guys that have worked bowl games are uh, going to be there. So we do a quality camp, but, but still— uh, uh, we're we're kind of well known. So in these small college leagues, mm-hmm. we've been able to advance guys in various oh, sports. Okay. You know, and maybe Division three or Division two, if it's baseball, basketball, even football. Wow. You know, we have we have a few, and then uh, that we try to promote, and that helps me. I like that that I can get a, a guy a chance to move up, but it also hurts me because I now I don't have him on Friday nights for football. Oh games. yeah, you know because sense. I mean. Man, I don't hate to lose you, but that's what, that's what we're here for—to help yep. promote you mm-hmm. if you're good enough. You know? Yeah, yeah. Jason, you gonna try out for something? No, <laughs> I, I did my—I yeah, I played hockey <laughs> and I knew hockey. Thought I would be a good ref, and I just—I didn't have the eyes for it, or maybe I just didn't have the temperament. I—I I don't know what it was. Well, you know, it's concentration that's really important. I can tell you. We talked earlier about physical conditioning in the NFL. When I finished a NFL game on a Sunday or whatever night, I had a game. After the game, I was more mentally tired I than I was yeah. physically. Spent. Yeah. You know, just the, the focus and concentration that's needed and the timing. Things happen so quick. And, you, you know, uh, it's funny, I kind of relate back when you people are quiet at the golf course, you know, when they put everybody's quiet. And, you know, and so when I play, you know, oh, it's, just it's funny. I, 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 the guy says, it's why I might be talking and I missed a putt or whatever I'm going to put. I said, look, that doesn't bother me. I used to do my job with 80,000 people screaming <laughs> at you. So if you're talking in the background, that's not going to bother that's, me. You that's know? nothing. Yeah, you know, so they laugh, you know, yeah. about it. But but it's, but it's true. It just takes total focus. You know, as a golfer, you need to be just totally focused on that. You can't be focused on John telling Bill about, you know, whatever. Yeah, you yeah know? that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, Jason, we've talked before about artificial intelligence. I wonder if they'll ever have some goggles or glasses developed that incorporates artificial intelligence huh. on a call. Well, I mean, well, we were talking about uh, the, the cameras over in the UK that they're putting up to, to wa- look inside your car while you're driving to make sure oh, you see yeah. goggles on. And, and so if they're already doing that, I would imagine you could have AI refs in, you know, that are alongside human refs to help make those calls. You, think? And, you know, there are, they're doing that. The XFL, uh, you oh, know, yeah. Yeah. Rock, league huh? and What's USFL, yeah. yep. uh, 
you know, uh, the XFL, they use something called a uh, sky judge. It's someone up that, you know, if they can tell you the calls, you know, by replaying it back and forth, they can come back and tell you this is this and change it, you know. Is it a drone or something? Like a drone? No, actually, there's so many cameras. Okay. You know, but they say sky judge because he's in a press box looking like a replay official, but they're utilizing it more. And it, but you know, when they do that, you're taking the human element Mm -hmm. out of the game. Yeah. You know, it's just, it is. You know, now do you want to get everything right? But there's a certain line. When is it? When do you stop getting it? How technical are you going to be to get a call right? When you look at, you know, a frame by frame, a milliseconds, you know, mm-hmm. where the uh, uh, like pass interference, the, the, the contact and yep. the ball, right. you know, uh, you look at it in real time, you know, and we officiate it in real time. And if it's close, you leave it alone because it's real time. Yeah. But it, but you look at it frame by frame, then at what point do you stop and say, okay, you know, it's a foul or not a foul? Yeah. And NFL tried doing that with pass interference after the you know debacle in the Saints game in that championship game. Oh yeah. You know they 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 had pass interference as reviewable, but it was it didn't work. They yeah. did it for one year and they threw it out and said, no, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. So. You know, technology has changed the game so much. Um, the year I worked the Super Bowl, I think they had 39 camera angles. That's crazy. You know, different angles. And now I think they're like 70 or up to, you know, 80. Every angle they, they can possibly have a camera in the pylons, one down the goal yeah. line, one down the sideline. One, You know, they have so many. Well, and I think you said it too. It's a human game. So you yeah. have to have humanities. If you have AI refs, why not just have AI players? Yeah, but that's you, it. you know, robots. like, like where, where do you stop? Robots, exactly. huh? no brain yeah. damage. Yeah, but you no, know how many players yeah. drop a pass in their hands, you know, like wide open, you know, and that's yeah. a human error. But we all but it's love okay. that. It's like yeah. everybody goes, look at that. Yeah, yeah. if it's yeah. okay. But that's if the official, it. It official misses a call, makes an error, oh, man, everything, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, it's chaos. Boo. You know, <laughs> a guy cheated. He didn't, you know. Yeah. No, the player dropped the ball. Did he, you know, is that, you know, anyway. Yeah, not fair. Last question. What does three to four hours before a game look like for an official? Are you guys like sitting down and like watching TV, having steak dinners, or oh, you're working no. out, or no. going for well, a run, or you know, everybody's personality is different. Everybody Certainly. has a certain routine that they that they do. I can tell you, even my last year, every time I was anxious before a game, I bet. I, you yeah. know, it's just yeah. I, I'm anxious. You know, I want, okay, let's get this game started. You know, I want to get my focus. You know, I have a routine. You know, I kind of get dressed the same way. We would go to the stadium three and a half hours before kickoff. Okay. Security would pick up the officials, take you to the stadium, and then you'd have a process. You know, you'd have to meet with coaches an hour and a half. There was a certain routine that you would go through, oh, really? and, you know, you'd follow it. you stay focused. But, you know, I like to be lighthearted. You know, I mm-hmm. like to have people relax, you know, by, you know, selling. They, they used to call me Boudreaux uh, back when I first got into the league because I would say, Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes. Oh. You know, that's why they called me. In fact, when I was working in NFL Europe, they everybody called me Boudreaux. <laughs> you know, I was afraid the supervisors didn't know me as Greg mm-hmm. Gotro because they would be looking to hire Boudreaux and didn't know who this other guy was, you know? And so I would tell a lot of Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes. And, you know, it was, it, I like that to to, real, to make guys kind of relax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this look, it's not. NFL was a stressful job. It's not life or death situation. You're not doing surgery, brain surgery, but your call is so critical. And, you know, it's just that it's, you know, it's stressful and it's based on performance, you know, and you're getting graded. It's like, you know, you go do your game and Wednesday when the grade comes out, it's like, okay, how did I do? You know, and it's like you're doing your job and the camera's following you all the time. And then, then you get, okay, let's, let's see how your performance was. Wow. And they expect you yeah. to be perfect, you know? Yeah. And so it is stressful, but like I said, you, but you create a lot of your own stress. And I used yeah. to hate from Sunday uh, to, to to Wednesday was was getting on the game because it's so subjective, some of the calls, yep. what they want as a whole. Mm-hmm. And on Wednesdays, my wife used to always cook for the family, for all the kids to come over because— uh, I wouldn't see them. I was gone on the weekend. So right. they come on Wednesday and they always knew if dad had a good game or a not so good game by Wednesday night, you know, 
by how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it, sense. Yeah. What is that ring you have on? Actually, it's a super, my Super Bowl ring. Is it? Super it's Bowl beautiful. 43. We'll get a picture of it so I can you know, post it, but it's yeah, gorgeous. Fortunately, officials get a Super Bowl ring. Uh -huh. It's not a team ring, but it's a ring for the fifth of the officials right. that the NFL provides. Awesome. Well, Greg, well, thank you for being here. Thanks oh, for yeah. coming down here. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, this has been great. And Jan, as always, thank you for letting thank me ask you. some questions. Thank you, Jason. No, no. Jason makes us sound professional and yeah. keeps it all well, going. You know, as you can tell, fish eating was a, a passion, and mm -hmm. so was my work. And you, the, on the athletic side, I was involved with sports or, with, you know, with people and, you know, in, in parks and recreation or fish eating. Yeah. You know, and I've had an opportunity to meet such a, a wonderful people. You know, I've met uh, President Bush, uh, 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 President Carter, you know, working the Army-Navy game, which was my last college game. He did the coin toss. He came in, you know, we had a chance to visit. Wow. You know, uh, Carter was in Atlanta a uh, time back. You know, I mean, just just opportunities mm -hmm. and meeting people and, and doing things. You know, it was, just, it was great. It kinda, you know, so. Right. Anyway. You've been a lucky man. Yeah, I feel like it. I've yeah. been very blessed. Right. Yeah. Well, Greg Gotro, thank you for sharing your story. This is, it's been wonderful. Oh. Just appreciate your time. And Jason, I appreciate you and Raider for making this show possible. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to Discover Lafayette. You can visit our website too, discoverlafayette.net, where you can find Greg Gotro's interview along with over 310 now. We've got a wonderful archive of interviews of people like you, Greg. I want to thank you all for your loyal support. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Mm -hmm.